Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning. Well, I got to be in the children's area for a little while this morning and I was hoping they would keep me because they looked like they were all having fun. And I would invite you to do what they were doing, but they were all sitting on the floor. And I have a feeling that some of you, once you were there, it would be a commitment you would have to stay with. (laughs) You know, it's been a real pleasure to be able to just to walk through God's word with you. And today, I wanna talk to you about an area that frankly can be a little tender. And you might not think it would be because I want to talk to you about the Lord's Supper and baptism. But the Lord's Supper and baptism, the teachings within it, the understanding of it, the practice, literally has caused factions in the family of God to the place that they have convened worldwide conferences of churches together to discuss them. And so much so that denominations were even formed around them. Matter of fact, you might not know this, but you're in a church that includes in his name, Baptist. And that has to do with the understanding of the role of baptism and whether or not it is part of God's salvation. So as I talk about this, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you, if you would, Could we just relax a little bit and just agree that we're just going to see what God's Word says? That that's where we're going to start because all of us may have some some different thoughts, but let's just see what God's Word has to say to us. And at the very beginning, I think it would be very helpful for us to differentiate between an ordinance and a sacrament. An ordinance is a practice that you do that demonstrates your faith. It's what you do to demonstrate what you believe. A sacrament is a means of grace, something that is necessary, needful, required for you to have salvation. And so I want you to get that difference in your head because some churches teach ordinance, some churches teach sacrament, and we're going to see what the Word says and how we understand it as a faith community. So let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage, as we look at what your word says to us about baptism and the Lord's Supper, we want to thank you that you give us clarity. We want to thank you that you give us the ability to understand. And we pray, God, that you would be honored by what we say and do. For we pray it in the holy and precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's begin with baptism. Now, let's start with this understanding. Baptism didn't just show up in the New Testament. Baptism had been part of Jewish life from its earliest roots. Baptism was part of ritual cleansing that would be part of certain temple services. It would be something that would happen when someone with a leprous disease was seen as cleansed. Part of welcoming them back into the community would be through baptism. It was the way that people would demonstrate, for instance, if they had been outside of the people of Israel and wanted to be within the people of Israel, they would go through a process and a time of teaching that would include a point of sacrifice, a point of circumcision, and then a point of baptism. 
as a way of being brought into that community. And you'll remember in Leviticus 8 that before someone was brought into the priesthood, one of the steps of of consecrating them was baptism. And I have been in the uh, uh, Israel, and some of you are going to go with me in October, and literally you will see baptism fonts at different locations where they would demonstrate their separation, their consecration, and their commitment by that act of baptism. Now, John the Baptist was so much known for baptism that he was literally picked up the name Baptist. So John the, and by the way, he was not the first Southern Baptist. I don't want somebody, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, we go all the way back. Listen, when you get to heaven, you're just going to be glad you were related to Jesus. You're not going to care about your origin. You're going to care about the one who originated you. And so let's just start with that. But John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John the Baptist, as the forerunner that was prophesied by Isaiah literally hundreds of years before, was the one that went out and began to preach the message that the kingdom of God was at hand and that as a people, they needed to repent because simply being part of Israel was not what they were called to be. They were called to be part of God's family and kingdom and to be faithful to what he said. He came to ensure that the nation was ready for the message of Jesus. And the crowds came literally by the thousands. And I have seen these locations where John was preaching. And I will tell you that you had to go there on purpose. It's kind of like going to Vernon. I mean, is anybody here from Vernon, Texas? Okay. I like Vernon. So let me change it. Henrietta. Okay, I was a student minister in Henrietta, so I feel like I can get away with that. But I'm going to tell you, you go there on purpose, not by accident. And they were coming out by the thousands to hear this, this, this man that was in no way uh, a Hollywood movie star. The Bible talks about him being wearing a hairy coat and a, and a little bit of a sash and, and eating locust and, and wild honey. And, you know, I know he was on a health food bench, but I'm telling you, as he was talking to them, they heard the voice of God resonate in their heart. And they couldn't get away from it. And so they were being baptized in response to John's message as a demonstration of repentance and of a commitment that they wanted to be faithful to what God had called them to be as his people. And it's to this moment where John is preaching, where literally thousands are gathering, that the Bible says that Jesus comes. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and he saw the, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That is the inauguration of the ministry of Jesus into the nation of Israel. And as Jesus came and he was baptized, I want you to know that Jesus didn't come to be baptized because he had to repent. Jesus literally walked the earth, the Bible tells us, with sinless perfection. So why did Jesus get baptized? Well, by being baptized, a couple of things were happening. One, Jesus demonstrated, again, a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that this was going to happen. He also affirms the ministry of John the Baptist and communicates that what John has told you, I'm in agreement with, that we have to turn from doing things the way we think and move to the way that God thinks. We need to turn our heart back to the Lord. It initiates that earthly ministry of Christ, but also just like the priest on Leviticus 8 would be baptized as part of the consecration to move into the priestly ministry, Jesus was baptized, as it tells us in the book of Hebrews, to become our priest that is always before the Lord. And he gave, by his obedience, an example for all of his followers. Because what Jesus did, he told us to do. Remember what we read in Matthew 28 last week when he was giving final words to the church? He said this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So why is baptism important? Well, first off, because Jesus said, do it. We could just stop right there. But Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. It's not enough for you to simply say, you trust in me. You need to obey me. And baptism is one of the first steps of obedience that a believer can take. Now, I want you to say this very clearly right now. Baptizing doesn't save you. But baptism is a visible demonstration of an internal reality of coming to faith in Christ. It's a follows the, the example of Jesus as demonstrated in Matthew 3. But also, as you look through the Bible, it emulates the example of those that came to faith in their response to the gospel message. Matter of fact, it wasn't just that those that were outside of the children of Israel, but even those that were inside, it says in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And I can walk all the way through Scripture and show you time and again where people heard the message, received Christ, and wanted to be baptized. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. And he looked at him after he believed, and he said, well, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Because he was ready 
willing to obey. Matter of fact, baptism is so important in, a clear, in the clarity that it makes of trusting that you have trusted in Christ and now that you are committing to a demonstrated faith walk with Christ that in this church family, it is part of what is required to become part of this church family. That you have to first be someone that has embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But then through baptism, you demonstrate that you want to be faithful to follow Jesus. So that as we gather as a family, that we welcome you if you don't know Christ and we're grateful that you're here and we invite you to come to know him. We embrace you if you've never followed him in scriptural baptism because he has called us to love you. And if you know Christ, we do want to welcome you within family. But baptism matters. It's not an elective. It's a directive that Jesus gave us before he left this earth. We need to follow him in faithfulness. But what's the meaning of baptism? Well, next service, we're going to see some more folks that are going to be baptized. And it's very common in this church when someone's baptized that Romans chapter 6, verse 4 is shared. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And baptism illustrates clearly the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It reflects not just that, but it also reflects just as Christ rose from the dead, we have risen from the death of our sin into new life in Christ to walk differently than we ever walked before. People should expect that the person I am after I come to know Jesus is not the same person they knew before I met Jesus. Now, you're still going to have some personality traits. You're still going to, you know, have that twinkle in your eyes. It's not that. But it's about the fact that the Holy Spirit is now coming to my heart and is transforming me into the character of Christ. And I'm to walk different because my heart is different. And baptism has that meaning in the life of believers. Now, what about why be baptized by immersion? I mean, wouldn't, as long as we call it baptism, wouldn't that be acceptable? Well, let's just start with this. The very word that's used there for baptism is a Greek word, baptizomai, which literally means to immerse. It's kind of like you take a cup and you immerse it. Now, I don't know about you, but once in a while, whenever I hear about a men's gathering or men's retreat, I immediately go back in my mind to a moment in a kitchen at a church when I was watching some men clean dishes. And they were not gifted and I noticed the place got near the water, but not in the water. And it was almost like there was this inspection moment of, is that dirty enough to waste water on it? Now, I want to tell you something. I want, when you wash dishes I'm going to eat off of, for you to immerse them. Not just to sprinkle them. I want them all the way down. And the word baptism literally means to immerse. That's the model that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 3. And matter of fact, as you go through Scripture, you will find that that is the mode for every single person that was ever baptized in Scripture. It was by immersion. 
But what if you were baptized differently? What about your baptism? What if you were sprinkled? What if, if that happened? Are we trying to say that there's not a value there or that it is not uh, something uh, of value? And I want you to hear very quickly that I am grateful that you had parents that loved you. I'm grateful that you had parents that loved you enough to take you to a church. I'm grateful that when they stood there and they held you and that that christening was done or that dedication, I want you to hear that they made a covenant commitment with that church and said that they were going to raise you in the way of the Lord and that they were going to uh, be faithful to follow God and his raising of you. But that's a good step toward God. What I want you to hear is there's not an instance of baptism in Scripture that happens before the profession of faith. And I came to Christ rather early. I mean, I was barely six. And I have to confess something. I don't really remember much before the age of two. It's kind of a blank. Some of you are saying, that's nothing. I remembered much since the age of 60. But the reality is, is that at best, that was your parents' choice. Baptism is to be your choice following your faith profession. Well, what if you were baptized in a different manner than immersion is what we're talking about? What happens then? Well, we'll be happy to visit with you and talk with you and for you to have the chance to have scriptural baptism. Again, not discounting the commitment of those before you, but embracing that you want to be a Christ follower, obedient to Christ in the order that he talks to us about. But what if you were part of a church that practiced immersion baptism, but they said baptism was necessary for salvation? And there are some churches that say that unless you come to faith in Christ and are baptized, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, we would come back again very gently to say this. It's still not scriptural baptism because scriptural baptism is an expression of obedience, not a requirement for salvation. And we want you to have the experience that God wants you to have. The ordinance of baptism is a precious moment in the life of a church. And it's a seminal marker in the person who is being baptized. And that's why we teach baptism matters. I want you to hear something. I'm not going to dwell too much on this, but I want you to hear this. Baptism came at a cost. Early on in the early churches, as they've been excavated, you would find baptism fonts in almost every church. You literally would find recesses in the ground in which there was baptistry. As a matter of fact, I remember walking and seeing one where they had the baptism uh, uh, pool and they had put a a font in the center of it so that they could do sprinkling. And there's a lot of history behind that, but I want you to hear by the 15th century and the 16th century, as people began to have access to the Bible because of the invention of the printing press and the illegal copies of Scripture were being found and being read by people, that as they read the Word and understood what the Word had to say, they began to realize, wait a minute, I should have been baptized later after I came to faith, not as a child. And so they began to be baptized and they were called rebaptizers. And there's a whole history I could walk you through, but I want you to hear that there have literally been people that have been martyred 
because they said, I want to follow Jesus in scriptural baptism. There's a church in Kittery, Maine. As you, I'm, I have mentioned to you, I, our association is in a partnership with the churches in Maine. And I'll never forget the first time I was in Kittery and I was talking with someone there about the history of the church there and they told me about William Screven. And William Screven was a pastor that was born in England, came to faith, was, was ordained by the First Baptist Church of Boston and was sent out in 1682 to go to Kittery, Maine and to start a Baptist church. Well, he did. And he began to teach the Word of God. And people began to be saved. And people began to be asked to be baptized. And it happened to the place that literally he was put in jail several times. Because it was illegal to baptize somebody by immersion. Finally, it came to the point in which he was told, you need to take you and your little band and you need to leave town. And he and about 15 people were marched to the edge of town and told, you come back, you go to prison. So they took a walk. And they walked almost a thousand miles south. So they found a small little town where they could preach the gospel and practice baptism without interference. It's a little town found in Charleston, South Carolina. And there is a stone, that little stone that you saw there, there's a stone on the side of that building that is inscribed to that group that came and founded that church in 1699. And I mention that because I've been at that church. I stood there and I was looking at the grounds and I thought, God, there was a day where somebody walked over the spot that I'm standing on that said, I'll go a thousand miles just so that I could tell the truth about what your word says. Will I be just as faithful as they are? It came with a price. That's why we take it seriously. That's part of the reason why it's in our name is because we believe that baptism matters, not to save you, but to demonstrate obedience in Jesus Christ. But what about the Lord's Supper? Can we take just a moment and talks about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, too, just like baptism, finds its full roots in the Old Testament. You'll remember in Exodus chapter 12 that the very first Passover was celebrated when they were told to take the blood and to put it on the doorpost and the lintel and that the death angel would be coming across the land of Egypt and that anyone that was not marked in that way, the firstborn, would be taken. It was the final act that God had to do to get them released so they could be sent out to go to the promised land. And so the Passover was a memorial. It was a moment to stop and to remember that as a people of God that were strangers in a land, we had been pulled out by God to become his people and to be found faithful to him in a different place. This celebration was a celebration that Jesus was part of. It would have been something that he would have grown up with. And so in the midst of that celebration with his disciples, the Bible says that Jesus changed some of what happened in that normal meal and took elements from it and transformed them to a higher meaning. The Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 26, 
Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what's happening inside the Lord's Supper? Well, first of all, the Lord's Supper is a remembrance. Matter of fact, it tells us in Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, I'm going to be leaving. You're not going to see me anymore. I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is going to come into your heart. But I want you to know that every time you celebrate this supper, you remember me. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus never asked for Christmas. He never asked that we remember his birthday. But he said, you cannot forget my death, my burial, my resurrection. And that one day, I'm coming back for you. Don't ever forget it. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of remembrance. Now, some people teach that when you are in a service and the Lord's Supper is about to be served, and perhaps you have been in other faith traditions where they will take and they, they hold up the bread, which some would refer to as the host, and they teach that literally inside that moment of prayer and consecration, that the bread and the cup becomes a literal body and blood of Jesus. And that's the reason why it's called the host because it is actually hostia in the Latin, which means sacrificial victim. We do not believe, nor can we find in scripture, a teaching about the bread and the cup becoming the literal body and blood of Jesus. Matter of fact, it wasn't until the Council of Trent in the 16th century that that became a formalized teaching within some churches because of the pushback against the Protestant Reformation. And so it would be important for us to understand that, again, that, that phrase, the difference between an ordinance and a sacrament. An ordinance is a practice that demonstrates our faith. A sacrament is understood as a means of grace needed for salvation. And there are some churches that would teach that there are certain sacramental steps you must take if you're going to come into the presence of God. When I was training to be a hospital chaplain, I received a call one day of a couple that was very distraught because there was not a priest available to come and pray over their stillborn child. And they wanted to know if I would come and do it. And I said, sure, I'll be happy to. Because even though I have an understanding theologically that that prayer for, or anointing for baptism does not save that child, I understand that that child is in the presence of God. And at that point, I'm looking at those parents trying to think about how do I help them in this moment? Now, 
gratefully, a priest did arrive in time even before I got there. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear that the only thing that will ever save your soul is your personal faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing else to add to Jesus. It's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. And as long as I get this done and that done, like we're in some kind of merit badge race to be able to get to the achievement, it's just Jesus. But that doesn't mean that baptism doesn't matter. That doesn't mean the Lord's Supper doesn't matter. It means contextually we're to understand them as part of what God has given us to grow in our understanding of who He is. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances. They don't save us, but they do demonstrate who we belong to. They're symbolic. But can I say this? They're a symbol that has weight. And, and this is what I mean by that. Um, I was talking with my son one day about this, and he was trying to ask me to explain all this. I said, Preston, it's like this. And, and I took off my wedding ring. I said, what is this? He said, well, that's your wedding ring. I said, well, what does it mean? He said, well, it means you're married to mom. I said, okay. I said, so Preston, if I take this ring and I put it on you, does it make you married? He goes, no. I said, does it mean you're married to mom? He goes, no, sir. I said, this is what you need to understand about a wedding ring. What makes me married is not I'm wearing this ring. What makes me married is the heart commitment that I covenanted with your mother. The ring is a symbol of that commitment. But my heart is the guarantee. But if you were to tell me that wearing this wedding ring doesn't mean anything, I would tell you that you just didn't understand me. Because it represents all those moments, all those choices, all those times that as a couple, we have made choices, we have walked through challenge, we have celebrated joys, it's a symbol, but it's a symbol that carries substance. So when we are baptizing or when we do the Lord's Supper, it is symbolic, but it's a symbol that carries gravitas. It carries weight because of who it's about and our heart commitment to him. So we don't trivialize the Lord's Supper. We don't trivialize baptism. We see it as special, as a moment to be valued, as an understanding of obedience. But it can't save you. That's one of the reasons why we believe that the Bible teaches that the Lord's Supper is only for Christ's followers. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says, For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And, you know, uh, when I was a small child, I can remember sitting in the row and, and the, the Lord's Supper's plates went past me. And when you're a little kid, something's going past that looks like chiclets. <laughs> looks like something you ought to touch. And I can remember putting my hand out and my mother taking my hand and pulling it back and just whispering, not yet, Roger. And then she would take a piece of dentine 
And my mother had this skill set where she could take one small piece of dentine, cut it three ways for my brother and I and my sister. She called it economy. I called it something else. But anyway, I got to chew that little piece of gum. But it caused me to have some questions. And the reason why the Lord's Supper are for people that have come to know Christ is not because we don't welcome people in this church and we don't value people in this church. It's because it is part of the family's remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And that's why it's a holy moment. Now, in this church family, we don't practice what's called closed communion, which means that you have to be a member of this church for you to have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you embraced Him as your Savior, and you've been baptized as a symbol of that obedience, we welcome you to the Lord's table. And by the way, we don't have any Lord's Supper police. We aren't going around looking at you saying, hey, I noticed you in the parking lot. Are you sure you ought to take that? But what we do say is, welcome to the family. We want you to be part. And as I was thinking about today and this moment that we were in, I was just kind of struck by a couple of things. And that is, is it would be important for me to stop and just ask a, a very clear question. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if you haven't accepted Jesus, then whatever's happened to this point, you need to know him. But if you've accepted Christ, then perhaps you've looked at yourself and you've looked at what has been spoken of and you've realized, man, I came to faith in Christ. But I've not had scriptural baptism. And I'm reminded, I was reminded actually this morning as I was reading and praying about today about Acts chapter 18 when Apollos was being used greatly by God as a, as a preacher and an evangelist in the early church and he was teaching the scripture and he was doing a phenomenal job but he did not know the full way of Jesus and the Bible says that uh, Lydia and took him and, and uh, they, they took him aside and they talked with him and they explained all the things about Jesus, not just the things he knew. And suddenly he was like, oh, and he became even more effective. And so I, I'm coming to you, just, excuse me, it was Priscilla and Aquila that pulled him aside. But I, I'm just kind of mindful that you may be at the place today where you're going, I didn't know this. What do I do now? Well, I would suggest that whatever you know to do, do it. Take that step. Follow the Lord in baptism. You know, years ago when I was a student, Manly Beasley came to the church that we were at in Jinx, Oklahoma. And if you don't know where Jinx is, you, you well, you're kind of normal. Jinx is just above Tulsa. And God just did a great work with Manly Beasley, one of the people that could just talk about prayer and make you want to pray. And, and it, was a, it was a good time for that church. But after he left, on a Sunday night, we had a share time. And there may be three, 400 people in this room and one person would share, then another person would share. And it was sweet. But I was sitting just about where you are right now. And there was a lady sitting about right where you are. And she was about four foot six. But she found a hairdo in the 1950s that she loved. 
and it made her about five foot six. And I mean, it was tight, full, and I mean, it was, it was up there. I'll never forget looking and realizing that she walked out, walked to the front, stood and said, I have a confession. I have been a part and a member of this church for a long time. Matter of fact, I was here before most of you were here. And I've got to tell you that I have never followed Jesus in scriptural baptism. People just assumed I had. And I didn't want to get baptized. And I don't want to tell you why, but I'm going to tell you tonight because the Lord has broken my heart. I've got to tell you. No one, including my husband, has ever seen me with my hair wet. but I need to get wet for Jesus. I'm gonna tell you something. The Spirit of God fell in that church. And I can't even describe, I mean, we had people getting saved. One of my best friends in high school, he got saved. I mean, God started doing something because one person just at a point of obedience just openly said, I need to be faithful. So I just want to ask you, have you gotten your hair wet? Because you can today. Will you bow your heads with me? Now as our heads are bowed, before we stand, I just simply want to ask you, have you embraced Jesus as your Savior? Because if you haven't, you can do that today just by saying, Lord, here I am. And your word tells me that my sin has broken your heart. And I am sorry for my sin, Lord. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my heart as my Savior and Lord? I give my life to you. And you can pray that prayer with a heart that is meaning it. And the Bible promises that Jesus will do exactly that. And it could be that you have a question, and if you do, I'd love to talk with you. Other staff is available. Deacon families will be here at the front. They'll talk with you. But I wonder if there might be some folks here today, and you would have to say, you know, I've never followed Christ in scriptural baptism. I have never, since I came to saving faith, was baptized because I let what happened as a child or I let an earlier choice drive that. But the fact is, it was before I came to faith. And today I need to take that step and I need to do what's clear because it's what Jesus wants for me to do. And it could be God's asked you to become part of this church family, to grow together. I don't know what all God is doing, but there could be a need. And you just say, I just need to pray with somebody. We want to be here for you. So as soon as I finish praying, we're going to stand. And I'm going to ask you to do what God has spoken to your heart and not to wait. In Jesus, your holy name, we come before you. And we thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you help us understand your word. And we ask you, God, to give us the courage to follow the example that you set for us to give us the willingness to yield our spirit to your salvation.
and to take that next step of being faithful to you. For Jesus, it's in your name and for your glory alone we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. There will be deacon families on either side. There will be folks as well in the balcony. And they'd welcome getting to pray for you and be an encouragement to you as well as staff. And so let's just take this opportunity to sing together and to say yes to what the Lord has spoken to your heart.